welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 629. Chapter 95. Chased. The five of us stood frozen for a moment. The slow rippling of the pool reflected onto the fair form of Florian. Naked in the moonlight, she sang. Uh-oh. Kailanian Luhiel Dimari Felanua. So fucking hard. Kreta Tusiar Tualaran D. Dirella Mawen Luesi Andalan Tunia Varuhan Feloriente. The sound of her voice was strange. It was soft and gentle, far too quiet for us to hear across the entire length of the clearing. Far too faint for us to hear over the sound of moving water and stirring leaves. Despite this, I could hear it. Her words were clear and sweet as the rising and falling notes of a distant flute. It reminded me of something I could not press my finger to. The tune was the same Dayton had sung in his story. I did not understand a word of it, save her name in the final line. Nevertheless, I felt the draw of it, inexplicable and insistent, as if an unseen hand had reached into my chest and tried to pull me into the clearing by my heart. I resisted. I looked away and set one hand against a nearby tree to steady myself. Behind me, I heard Martin murmuring, No, 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 in a low voice, as if the end of the page occurred. Oh, dang. Reading stuff in uh, Fey language seems like dyslexia hard mode. Yeah, I'm that's, that's not <laughs> fair. Why did I get this page? <laughs> because you're Jordana and I'm Jeremy. Whoa, when did you get here? I've always been here. You were gone. <laughs> yes, I have reconstituted Jeremy myself once again from the primordial goo, and I'm back better than ever. From the, the pellets and droppings of the harpy fledglings. Jeremy just just in time for Florian and the goodies. That's right. I showed up for the good stuff. Yeah, Florian's goodies. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> First thing I want to point out is I managed to find the exact page that we hear the song that Dayton sings in his version of the story. I was just about to ask you for this. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Page 543. It is, in fact, word for word correct, except that Dayton, when Dayton sings the song, there are capitals. Valerian never capitalizes anything except for her own name. I kind of love that. <laughs> yep. And we'll, we'll see that more in her dialogue. Uh, nothing is ever capitalized except for her own name. There's a couple words that we recognize. I think we talked about this a little bit last time we heard the song. Uh, Amawen is a word that we get a lot, which seems to mean stop, pay attention. Florian and Bast use it that way. And then also the name Losi, or the word, I should say, Lozi or Loezi shows up in the song. And I can't help but wonder if it, uh, if the name Losi, uh, the redheaded barmaid that Quoth takes to bed upon learning sexomancy from Florian. Can't but wonder if her name is the same as, as this word. Although her name, people call her Losi, but her name is uh, Losini. That's true. Or Lozine. 
but you know, calling names are a thing. Well, yeah, yeah. I I think that there is a connection. We'd be foolish not to notice the connection because it's an uncommon word that you won't find outside this book, and it and they occur kind of as bookends of each other. But I think that the the connection is going to be a little bit more subtle than we might think. And before we move on from the song, I just want to point out again, I think I mentioned this when we encountered the song before, but uh, third hand or fourth hand, when Dayton told the story, he got the song word for word perfect. So I feel like, and you know, Quoth upon retelling the story gets the song right as well, or at least we're led to believe that narrator Quoth, uh, you know, we have no reason to doubt that this song is word for word correct. So there's, I feel that there's something about this song that is like, a mnemonic geese or something like that. Like once you hear it, you you remember it forever perfectly. I mean, something that Rothfuss does throughout this sequence is really creates this kind of off-kilter sense of like unreality as Quoth slips into the Fey world. And I do think that the uncanniness of this song being like perfectly uh, replicable is part of its magic. And it's part of that, it's one of the tools in his toolbox that he's using to pull us into this other other world, just as it literally pulls Quoth into this other world. Is the thing that he is reminded of that he cannot press his finger to, is it the tune from Dayton's story, or does he? is it something else that he's reminded of? I assumed it was the tune from Dayton's story, but I guess he recognizes that, so I don't... I think it's something else, because the next line is him saying the tune was the same, and I feel like if we were meant to connect those two ideas, then there would be something there to tell us to do that because it seems obvious to do that. So the fact that Quoth doesn't connect those two ideas says to me that the thing that he's reminded of is something else. And again, I think that's part of the, the otherworldliness because it's not the tune that is reminding him of something. It's the sound of Fullerian's voice, the quality of her voice. Yeah, and the last time he gets reminded of something he can't put his finger on, it's it's the fact that he's seeing Cinder. Maybe it has to do with supernaturality. Uh, I don't think Florian is is a uh, Chandrian. Maybe this will pay off later. Maybe he has encountered her or something like her before. Maybe. If it does pay off later, I'll be happy for it, but I also am not too fussed. Yes. Much like a Reg, it will always pay off later. That's right. And it'll keep coming back to pay off again and again, like a red. I, I just want to call attention to some of the other sensory details that I think are giving us this kind of otherworldly quality. Uh, the way that despite the fact that she's singing quietly, her voice is soft, they can still hear it clear as a bell across the clearing. That's eerie and supernatural. I mean, even just the imagery of like her naked in the moonlight, I think is meant to remind us of figures from mythology and figures from from fairy tales like Artemis the the virgin huntress of Greek myth uh, who is known for bathing naked and then killing the poor jerks who ended up stumbling upon her by accident I think it's also meant maybe to call to mind Hecate who is the Greek goddess of the moon and sorcery it does remind me of a painting. I feel like I've seen this very image in a painting somewhere I feel like a naked fairy in the moonlight is not a particularly unique idea. <laughs> true say yeah. yeah well that's what i'm saying but i think that that rothfuss is using that imagery deliberately to put us in a certain frame of mind i mean it's also in shakespeare right the first thing oberon says to titania when we see those characters for the first time is ill met by moonlight proud titania so fairies by moonlight is like 
a recurring theme of fairy tales. So if you want to establish your bona fides as a creature of fae and a creature of myth, then appearing naked in the moonlight is a good way to go about it. Also, delicious wonton soup. What? Because, well, because Oberon uh, wants the rash wonton to Terry so he can eat yes. uh, he can eat it more. Terry so. rash wonton. <laughs> yes, famous line from uh, from that play. Some, I wouldn't mind a rash wonton right. from Terry's Terry house. Terry rash wonton, am I not thy lord? The, the subtext being, bring me some dumplings, please. Yes. I think the other... <laughs> detail that is supernatural on this page. We should go to Mother's Dumplings. What are you dumplings. laughing at? We're having a very serious discussion. <laughs> very serious we should go to Mother's Dumplings and order order dumplings that way. Yes. Terry, rash wonton, you say to the poor server. <laughs> we would get kicked out and we deserve it. The other detail is that And of course, when you eat too many, you get a wonton rash. That's right. Alright, thank you. The other detail is that Quoth does not understand the lyrics of the song and yet he is pulled towards the clearing by it. He feels the draw of it. He feels physically pulled into Faye by the song. And so does Martin and presumably Dayton as well. Yes. Is Quoth more affected by it because he is closer to Faye than the average dude? Well, here's the thing. I don't know if he's more affected by it, but I think he's affected differently. This is maybe something we want to save to talk about on the next page. But everyone else is, like, terrified. And presumably they're thinking back to the story that they told that, that um, was it Dayton who told the story around the campfire about the, about, like, just this thing happening? I think Foth is not afraid, perhaps because he has a pinch of fey blood, perhaps because he's already in tune with the supernatural because he is a, a namer and a sympathist. I would also, you're going to say the same thing I am, I think, but go ahead. Maybe. I was going to, the thing I was going to say is perhaps it's because he's insatiably curious. He always wants to know more and he always wants to put his nose where it doesn't belong. (laughs) That is what I was going to say. I was going to put more of a negative spin on it. We'll talk about that more tomorrow when he either succumbs to the spell or rationalizes away uh, his, and, and decides to go willingly. But you know what? If a, supernaturally gorgeous babe appeared before me naked in the moonlight, I would not resist her siren song. Even if you get death by snoo snoo based on... That's how I want to go, Nick! That's how I want to go! (laughs) Fair point, fair point. Don't we all? Would that we could all have death by snoo snoo. That's right. I mean, it's definitely not the worst way to go. With With a little wonton on the side. First the large fairies, then the small fairies, then the large fairies again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like her song is the equivalent of the Tom Bombadil song. Uh, It's basically, hi-ho, dilly-dilly, I'm Fulurian. You know, hey, hey, nonny-nonny, and a rin-tin-tin. I am Fulurian, (laughs) come on in. (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, We love a hey, nonny-nonny, don't we, folks? We do. We love a hey, nonny-nonny. We say it all the time. We're saying it more and more. (laughs) We should. We should bring back hey, hey, nonny-nonnies and Morris dancing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Morris dancing never left, I'm sad to say. (laughs) <laughs> do we have a letter we do we have so many letters ever so many letters we've been saving the letters uh for you the jeremy this is from patrick not rothfuss who writes on page 615 angels and other such things hello pagers on this page martin is praying while looking for an arrow and preparing to shoot the tree the bandit leader who is definitely cinder seems to be listening for something both think cinder can hear martin 
But I think Jordana is right, and Cinder is hearing the angels coming. The way Cinder reacts is very similar to how all of the Chandrian react after killing Quoth's troop. In the first, he scrambled toward Haliax, and here he bounded toward the tent. Do you think Haliax is in the tent, or just some other method of escape? On another note, the names Martin calls to watch him over are not all angels. He asks Tellu to watch over him in Menda's name, in Peril's name, in Ordal's name, in Andon's name. Menda and Peril we first hear of in Trappist's story. Menda is Tellu's son of himself, and Peril is Menda's mother. Ordal and Andon became angels under Tellu on the second day of Scarpy's story, along with Kyrel, Dea, Endless, Giza, and Leselte. Ordan and Andal seem to be the most popular of the angels, since they are the only ones we see referenced outside of Scarpy's story. Denna invokes Ordal when she is high on Denner, sweet angel Ordal above I feel great, and both names Ordal and Andon are mentioned on the painting of the vase from Nina because she took the paper from the Book of the Path. Looking ahead to page 616, which is not out while I am writing this, I think it is crazy that Quoth still manages to be elitist when he is about to pass out from exhaustion and shock. And uh, Patrick has included a meme. It is the uh, dumb SpongeBob meme. Dumb SpongeBob meme. Uh, top text, as above, so below. Bottom text, making a joke only someone from the university could hope to understand. And I will, of course, uh, post this meme. Uh, thanks, as always. Signed, Patrick, not Rothfuss. Well, Patrick, it's okay to be elitist if you are better than other people. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> Only if you're not better. I feel like that's like Jeremy's ethos. Jeremy says that constantly. You might as well have that on a t-shirt or like a card. <laughs> Quoth's not being elitist. He knows something they don't know. He's making a joke about it. He is an elite in that sense. And I was about to say, isn't isn't like, isn't it really lame and, and dumb and, and self-effacing to make a joke when no one else gets it? But I do that all the time. He doesn't say it out loud. Yes, he does. He he decries it. He says it as he presses the the arrow into the ground. It's like a spell that he says, basically. I think I think he does it for himself, though. I don't think he's doing it for someone. Yeah, he else. does it for himself. And have we not all made a joke to ourselves that no one else around us would understand while we said it? I do that. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did that in this very episode. I've done that. So let he who is without wontons rash the first wonton. <laughs> I did that to my uh, to my D and D group last weekend. Rash the first wonton. Hey, nani nani, and a rin tin tin. My name is Fulurian. Come on in. So that's right. So that he who is without being better than other people cast the first stone. On the subject of of the uh, the angels, we did definitely uh, oopsie daisy that one. Now the fact that Dayton knows these characters who we have only elsewise heard named in Scarpy's story, I guess. Sorry, Martin names them, and so does Denna, uh, according to Patrick Not Rothfuss. We have been operating on the assumption that the story Scarpy tells is like a heresy in some way. Well, he does get he gets uh, captured by the he gets arrested church at right. the end for telling it, right? So it does seem that way. It does seem that way, but the fact that other characters know those names and like they seem to be like in common usage, I wonder if we might not be barking up the wrong tree there. Yeah, maybe. And we also, we are we are given a, I think just like a one line, a toss off somewhere about the Mender heresies. And from there we have, or someone has extrapolated that uh, Menda, the story of Menda is is heretical and Trappist is, is a Mender heretic. But honestly, uh, I don't know if there's any hard and fast information beyond the term Mender heresies being tossed off somewhere 
in the book. Can't even remember where. I don't know. I don't know. I guess uh, what we should do is just follow the Jeremy path and uh, believe everything that the narrator tells us without critiquing it at all. Okay. Thank you. My God, I've been trying to... I've been banging this drum for like three years. Finally, people are seeing the light. We'll see how long it lasts. We've we've settled it then. Finally, we can just uh, coast along for the rest of the book and just after we read the page, say, and that's what happened. And then Now, now, we should also say, and it was good when it happened and it was written very nicely and then we can be done. Okay, (laughs) sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, it'll be good when it happens tomorrow on another page. Uh... Hey, Nani Nani, the wind.